0: Alright, so we are, we are now in chapter 5. We um, are going to begin chapter 5 today. We're going to look at the first five verses of, of 1 John chapter 5. So we're approaching the end of our journey through this little letter. And as we do this, we've talked about, a lot about love and loving one another. And I want to just pull us back and, and just briefly review the purpose of John writing this letter and if you remember John is writing this letter in direct opposition to false teachers in the church they were called gnostics and they were disrupting disrupting the believers in Ephesus and, and some bible scholars and historians say that not only was first John first and second John but also perhaps the gospel of John written in direct opposition to these false teachers And so these Gnostics um, were false teachers uh, that John referred to as antichrists. There was one in particular, his name was Serenthus, and and his disciples and his followers. These false teachers were in the church. And they were using uh, biblical language, and they were using uh, the name of Jesus, and they talked about Jesus being the Son of God. Um, and they talked about Jesus being the Christ, but they believed it in a very different way. We'll get into that a little bit more specifically <clears throat> as we go through this. But John is warning the believers um, not to follow men like this, false teachers like this, because they are antichrist, and, and this is what John referred to when he said when he talked about the antichrist. There are many antichrists among you, uh, and he talked specifically about the antichrist. He was talking about Serentis. He was talking about these guys who denied the reality of who Jesus is. They were antichrist. We've lost view of this today in our modern world because we're all caught up with the end of the world, and God wants us to be paying attention to the world we're living in right now, and don't worry about the end. He's got that all taken care of. These Gnostics falsely taught that Jesus was not born of a virgin, he was not the incarnate Son of God, that the Christ came upon him at his baptism and it left before his crucifixion. So the bottom line is they were not worshiping and they were not pointing to the Jesus of the Bible. It was a Jesus of their own uh, false imaginations. So this is what this letter is about, and the subject of the letter has not changed. ...as we get into chapter 5 now. So let's read these first five verses. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God... ...when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments... And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the word of the Lord. Father... Bless this word today, open our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit, illuminate this word, reveal your truth to us. Father, we ask that you would have your way in us, that, Lord, every point of resistance to your word and to your will, to obedience to you, God, that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, break down in our lives, God, that we would be a people, Lord, who love you, who walk in your ways, who obey you and obey your word and give glory to your name as a witness in this world. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to believe Jesus is the Christ is to know in all things our love and our life matter. So this was one of the things about the Gnostics. They didn't think how you lived your life mattered. The Gnostics valued and sought after above all things a secret knowledge from a supreme source. The material world, the flesh, and the idea of sin were irrelevant to them. As a result, Gnosticism produced an arrogance and an indifference among its adherents toward others who were considered inferior because they didn't possess the same knowledge. The result was the practice of sinful and selfish behaviors among those who followed these false beliefs. The Gnostics were in the church promoting their beliefs while calling themselves followers of Christ and practicing lawless and loveless lifestyles. And John is warning the believers not to fall for a false Christ and give place to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the sin nurtured in this and in all false beliefs. There are false teachers just like that today in the church. They can be pastors and teachers, uh, graduates of seminaries with letters behind their names. They may have the pedigree, but that does not mean they have the Holy Spirit. We need to be aware of who and what we open our ear and our eye gates to. As in John's day, these false teachers departed from the believers because they were never of them. We need to guard the flock today in the same way and oppose false teaching and false teachers as John did. And as Jude exhorts us, we must be willing to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. So the Christ of these Gnostics that these Gnostics followed was not the true Christ. Now, this is not just in John's day 2,000 years ago. This is true in our day today. The Christ that many profess to follow is not the Christ revealed to us in the Scripture. Then and today, false teachers may confess right-sounding things in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth they do not follow or obey Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Their belief and their practice, in other words, is antichrist. This is why John links our love for God with our obedience to his word and to his commands. We cannot, as a people of God, nobody, we cannot pick and choose what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. Well, I like this, I'm going to do that, but you know I don't like this over here, so I'm just going to ignore that. No. John says you can't do that. You're anti-Christ if you do that. God gave you the whole counsel of God, and you've got to follow the whole thing. And this is why John qualifies the Jesus that we are commanded to believe in and follow. Jesus Christ is the Word that was in the beginning. The Word that was with God, and the Word that was made and is God. This is the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. This is what the Gnostics denied. The Christ didn't come in the flesh. He just came upon Jesus, and then he, who he left. No, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Word made flesh that dwelt among us, the Word full of grace and truth. This is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. This is the Word by which we are begotten or born again. This is the Word we are commanded to love, and so we are commanded to love all who are begotten by Him. We should heed the same warning today and make sure that we are believing and obeying the Jesus of Scripture, and not a false Jesus that is the construct of the world or of our own wicked imaginations. This is a sin easier fallen into than we may realize. This is why we continually go to the Word and wash our minds with the Word of God, the truth. I want you to think about how dirty our hands would become if we washed them as infrequently as we do our minds. We wash our hands because we are in the habit of doing so, and we are reminded constantly, especially in our current environment. How much more vital, are you listening, church? How much more vital to wash our minds with the pure water of God's Word Think of all that is around us polluting our minds and then consider not just all that's around us, but we have our own unrenewed mind, carnal mind, that is lying to us all the time. And we need to bring that carnal mind in submission to the Word of God. And that can only happen as you wash your mind with the Word. It's not going to happen any other way. You can wish it to happen, you can want it to happen, it ain't going to happen. You can even pray it to happen, but I'm telling you what, God is not going to renew your mind apart from His Word. And until you break open His Word, and you let that Word come in your eye gate and your ear gate, and I'm not talking about um, Bible devotions, I'm not talking about watching Bible teachers on TV or streaming, I'm talking about you breaking open the Bible and letting the pure, unadulterated Word of God wash your mind. Until you do that, your mind will not be renewed. And you are going to be the victim of your own vain imaginations and false beliefs. And that is sinful. It is absolutely sinful. And so we are to wash our minds with God's Word. We would never allow our hands, think about this, we would never allow our hands to go unwashed as long as our minds do. And this is why we all must, your pastor included, We all must go to the Word. And you can't go to it too much, I'll just tell you. Don't think there's a danger of that, because you'll never fall into that. Oh, I just read the Bible too much. i got to stop. No, you're never going to get there. Try. I challenge you to try. Go ahead and try. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to love God, to love one another, and to obey His commandments, and to do this with joy. The test for loving one another is our love and our obedience to God. Verse 2, and this is why we, and this is, and by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And this is why Jesus answered the lawyer's question concerning the greatest commandment. It's in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. To love your neighbor rightly is only possible as we love God and keep his commandments. What we very often call love is really not love at all. It's, it's, it's our own sinful desires. Love is defined in the Scripture, and love begins with the reality that God is love. And love will never be anything that will violate God's Word or the nature or the character of who God is. It never will. It can't. So the love of God is not a love of, of checking off boxes. So to love your neighbor rightly is only possible as we love God and keep His commandments. But this is not a love of just like checking off boxes or following, following a formula or um, uh, something like that. That's not the kind of love that I'm talking about. It's not something that's self-serving or self-seeking. Oh, I'm going to do this so I can get this. Uh, it might be a loving or a kind act in that person's um, view. But what's your motivation? And God wants our motivation to be love, His love. Our love, working by faith, loves the one who begot us, and it loves all of those who were begotten by Him. Love, it's love that considers God, and it considers one another. And this is how we know we love the children of God. The test for loving God is finding obedience no longer burdensome. This is verse 3 that I read to the children. Now, life is filled with burdens. And the question is not whether we're going to get delivered from our burdens or not. You're never going to get delivered from your burdens as long as we live in this flesh on this unredeemed earth. And, and I believe even in glory, there are going to be burdens that we're going to have. They're not going to be burdensome. But do you think we're just going to all sit around and eat bombs and, and, and truffles? in the? No. I'm telling you what, God's preparing us for something. And so life is filled with burdens. The question is, how are we bearing up under those burdens? Some of our burdens that become cares, and there's a difference. You can have a burden you carry, but you can have a care that is a worry and a stress that is sinful. And Jesus said, you need to cast those things onto me. Worry is sinful. Jesus says, don't worry. Now, I know that's easier said than done, and that's a different sermon. But the point is, some of our burdens become cares that we need to cast upon the Lord. And others require endurance that is only found in His love. John is not saying there are no longer any burdens. He is saying obedience to the Lord's commands are not burdensome. There are burdens that are too heavy, too burdensome to carry. And there are burdens we carry that are not burdensome but are actually a joy for us to carry. Some people find loving their brother a burden, but the Bible says, yes, there is in one sense the burden of loving your brother, but it should be a burden that we love to carry and that we find joy in doing. The Pharisees imposed heavy burdens upon others that they themselves would not carry, and Jesus rebuked them for this. So don't ever require something of someone else that you're not willing to do yourself. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, Matthew 23, 4. In contrast, Jesus calls all who labor and are heavy laden to find rest in him, Matthew 11:28 28-30. Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not removing from us all burdens. He's inviting us to come to him and exchange our impossible and heavy yoke and burden for his that he calls easy and light. We're not getting rid of all burdens. We're exchanging one burden for another. And the burden of sin is heavy, but Jesus tells us his burden is light. The yoke of sin is impossible to endure, but the yoke of love in Christ is easy. It's not burdensome. Jesus calls us to himself to find rest in him. To continue in the bondage and the yoke of this world is sinful. The scripture teaches us that love bears all things. It also teaches us that love never fails. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That means love carries the burden of all things and does not fail. This is not Human strength bearing up under these burdens. I want you to understand this. You don't have the strength. And the Bible doesn't, is not telling you to, to just suck it up and, and get stronger. That's not what we're talking about here. This is man in his weakness, abiding in Christ, bearing up under every burden in the strength of Christ as we are yoked to Him in His love. Love does not fail because God is love and God never fails. The command to love God and keep His commandments and to love one another should not be burdensome if we are abiding in Him and in His love. God wants us to live from His love, not from our own strength, not from our love that we imagine or the world's definition of love. God wants us to live from His love as defined in His Word. In case you've not noticed, the things we love to do are not burdensome to us. Have you ever noticed that? In contrast, the things we find burdensome are things we do not love, but are compelled to do out of drudgery or joyless obligation. Thus, we find ourselves making all sorts of excuses When we just need to be obedient. Most things that are burdensome are things uh, that don't bring joy to us. But joy is something that is not dependent upon our circumstances, and it's not dependent upon the particular obligation at hand. We can all think of things that we don't necessarily love to do, and we don't just find joy in them. Well, the joy of the Lord is not dependent upon whether I love to do something or not love to do something. All that we do, we are to do is unto the Lord. And we should do all out of love for Him, and so find our joy in Him, even if we do not not find joy in a particular task. Where do we find joy? We find joy in the Lord. I'm not finding joy in a task. I can, but maybe I can't. So my joy is not in the task. My joy is in the Lord. And if I understand that my joy is in the Lord, then whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever whatever I'm obligated to do or not obligated to do, I can find joy in it because the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's true. Sometimes we need to make ourselves do burdensome things to crucify our flesh and to discover the blessing of obedience. No good habit started until you developed it by doing it time after time after time. And what you would call a good habit that you may appreciate and enjoy doing now maybe didn't start out that way. So sometimes we just need to crucify our flesh to discover the blessing of obedience. God wills for us to learn to obey and live from His love And when love becomes our motivation to obey, we will find that His commandments are not burdensome. Overcoming, what does overcoming mean? Overcoming means coming over something. Kind of makes sense, right? Victory is defeating something. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We live life in Christ like we should never have to overcome anything, and we should never have to defeat anything. We want to be overcomers, and we want to be victorious, but by the very nature of being an overcomer and being victorious means I had to overcome something, and I had to defeat something in order to be called victorious. To overcome and to be victorious implies a struggle, a battle, a trial, a tribulation. And whether we want them or not, guess what? Jesus promised that in this world we would have them. We would have tribulation. This is one of the promises that, that Jesus gave us that we don't like to remember. It's recorded for us in John 16, when Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That means there... That means there we have things, that, that there are things that we have to overcome, and there are things that we must defeat in our faith. The promise we have in Christ is not that we will avoid trial and tribulation in this world if only we have enough faith. There are false teachers, anti who teach things like that. The reality is we're going to go through things in this world, in this life, the promise we have in Christ is that we will experience hardship and trial and tribulation, but we can be of good cheer, we can have joy because He has overcome the world. Yes, you can have joy in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your tribulation, because Jesus, the source of your joy, is walking with you. And He has promised that He has overcome the world. And that overcoming of the world includes, most importantly, that He has overcome sin, and death. The promise we have in Christ is that He is with us through every trial and every tribulation. He is leading and guiding us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is in our deepest valley as well as with us on the highest mountain. His promise is to never leave us, to never forsake us. And this is why we have the assurance of victory. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. When we are born of God, by the Holy Spirit, we can know that we overcome because Christ has overcome, and Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. So if Christ is in us, and we are in Christ, and Christ is overcome, then what does that say about us? We're going to overcome also. If Christ has already gotten us the victory, and we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, then... What does that mean? That means we too are victorious. So in Christ, our faith is the victory that has overcome the world. By grace, through faith, we are in the world, but we are no longer of the world or under its power. We're to walk under the power of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is born of God. Our faith is the gift of God given to us so that we may believe Jesus is the Son of God and be saved. What we believe determines what or if we overcome. Verse 5, he who, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that might sound really simple, but when John wrote this letter, when he wrote, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God he is thinking about the true Jesus versus the false Jesus that the Gnostics preached. And Jesus, Paul, John is saying, it's not just saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Because we can say all kinds of things. This is why John links what we say to how we live. If it's a confession of faith from our heart, then it's going to be manifest through our life. This is exactly... What Paul and James are saying. Paul says, the root of my fruit is faith. James is saying, the fruit has come from the root. If there is no fruit, how do I know the root is there? And this, in essence, is what John is doing. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to know that we have overcome the world. We overcome the world because we have been born of God. And those who do not believe are not born of God and they do not overcome the world. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is to know God's love. It is to love God and obey Him and to love one another. This has been the theme throughout John's letter. Our belief, which is our faith in Christ, defines all of our life. If our faith is not overcoming the world, we will find ourselves being overcome by the world. This is not God's will for His children. We are to overcome. We are to be victorious. Apathy, passivity, and self-centered complacency breed defeat. That's how you're going to be overcome by the world. We are never static. We're never in neutral. We are all being conformed to something. You're either moving forward... In Christ, or you're reverting back and being conformed to the world. But Jesus made it very clear, there are no gray areas. There's no such thing as neutral in the kingdom. Jesus said, you're either for me, or you're against me. It has nothing to do with your knowledge or your ignorance. The the Old Testament scripture says, my people, God says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge is not an excuse. The devil does not care if you have a lack of knowledge. He will steal you and rob from you and, and destroy everything he can in your life with your lack of knowledge. He's never going to say, oh, well, wait a minute. Well, that's not fair. You didn't know better. No. <clears throat> that's what we want to believe is true. And God warns us, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Well, pastor, what do I need to do? Go to the Word. Wash that dirty mind. And I'm not. I, you understand what I'm saying. The, the mind that's been polluted by the world and has been conformed to the world. How do I unconform it? Wash it. Wash it with the Word. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's only one way to do that. That is through the Word of God, through the truth. And if our minds are not being renewed and transformed by the truth, then they are being conformed to the world. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God is not passive, it is absolutely active. Jesus, the Son of God, is the object of our faith. Our faith in Him is our victory. Our faith in Him overcomes the world and everything in it that opposes or is anti-Christ. The false teachers and anti-Christ John is writing to oppose presented a false Jesus Our faith is not in a mere man who lived a model life. Our faith is not in a man upon whom which the the Christ consciousness came and then left. Our faith is in Jesus who is the Christ, the eternal Christ, the eternal Son of the living God, the God-man who has already overcome the world and already given us victory by grace through faith in Him. So here's what John is saying to us. This is what Jesus is saying to us. We are world overcomers. Now that could sound cheesy, couldn't it? But only if it were not true. But it is true. We are world overcomers. We who are born of God have overcome the world. That truth is not just so that we can feel good about ourselves and our salvation. We often read the Bible thinking that God is just writing letters to us to make us feel good. No, that's not why God gave us his word. He's not trying to make us feel good. He is telling us, obey my word and go out and advance my kingdom. Do what I told you to do. Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't just give us this truth so that we could feel good about ourselves That truth is given to us so that we will boldly go out and advance the kingdom of God and prevail against the gates of hell. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not called to passively wait for Jesus to rapture us out of this world. You're going to be waiting a long time, I'm going to tell you. The church is called to actively, forcefully, and faithfully advance the kingdom as we take the gospel to the nation's, And make disciples. When you think of taking the gospel to the nations. I want you to pay close attention to this. When you think of taking the gospel to the nations. Do not think of crossing oceans. Think of crossing streets. Think of crossing sidewalks. Think of walking across the yard. Or walking across the office. Or walking across the hallway. To engage your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your family member, or a stranger. When you think of taking the gospel to the nations, that's what I want you to think about. Not whether, not, not whether you're supposed to go to Africa or not. You're here. God caused you to be born here for a reason. And your mission is here. And it's specific to here. Christ Fellowship Church, Taylor, Texas, this area... That we live in. Uh, we live in a very mobile society, so we can, we can cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. This is where our mission is. Jesus promised he would build his church. In that promise, he said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus promised that his church, his people, who we are, who are us, right? We are his people, that's us, would overcome the world. The world cannot stop the church the world cannot stop the gospel of the kingdom. It can't do it. It cannot do it. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care what the media or the propaganda say. I don't care what social media says. Cannot do it. Do you hear me, church? Don't believe the lie. Stop watching the news. Get off the internet. Stop watching all that garbage and all the false promises of what's fixing to happen. Oh, you know what's fixing to happen. I'm going to tell you what. Stop worrying about what's fixing to happen. Get in the Word of God and start obeying Jesus. Start making disciples. Start advancing the kingdom. God's in charge of what's going to happen, and when it needs to happen, He'll make it happen. We need to be obedient to His Word. What we all need to do, myself included, is is continue to wash my mind from the pollution Well-meaning or malicious, it doesn't matter. There's lots of lies out there. Many are well-meaning. Again, the devil doesn't care how well-meaning the lies are. He will use them in an attempt to diminish your faith, stop the mission of Jesus, but I'm going to tell you what, he can't. He might stop you, but he'll never stop the mission of Jesus. It's impossible because that is the promise of Christ, That his church will prevail. The gates of hell will not stand. The kingdom will fill this earth. And that is good news. Amen. Amen. Jesus is king and the king invites us to his table. And when we're invited to dine with him in covenant renewal, this is what we do each week. We dine with him in covenant renewal each week. Now that doesn't mean the covenant expires, it doesn't. But in faithfully coming to the table each week we proclaim Christ's death and we reaffirm our commitment to the eternal covenant God made with us in Christ. Trust Him. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and then live like He is. Amen? Welcome to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. I'm going to give you your charge. And then I'm going to pray for the meal next door. You are all invited. I hope you all stay and can join us. And then I will uh, give you the benediction. In our charge today, I want you to encourage others who are not now engaged to join us in the worship and the work of the kingdom at Christ Fellowship. Pray for His grace to see our families, communities, and cities transformed for His glory. I encourage you to expand your vision. Ask God to change the way you see yourself and your faith. Pray and seek God for a greater obedience and a greater boldness. Pray for and seek opportunities to share His love and make His gospel known. Ask God, to grow you and to show you how to be used for His glory right here and right now. This begins with loving Him and obeying Him. This is how Jesus commanded us to pray. His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray specific to places and people as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus commanded us to do to go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, don't forget this, teaching them to obey all that He has commanded. Know that the power of the Gospel is not theoretical. It is real. It is actual to save and transform our hearts and the world. The promise that we have Overcome the world is not given so that we will simply have the knowledge of it. It is given so that we will actually do it. Christ fellowship, that includes all of us. Our charge by God is to seek to expand the influence and the reality of the kingdom of God in our personal lives, in our corporate life, in our families, in our work, across our city, throughout our communities, and beyond as the Lord wills. That is our charge. And it is not by might. It is not by power. It is by His Spirit that we will do this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.